When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Fable and Folly Network supports creators of exceptional audio stories, including the one you're listening to right now. If you love our shows, we want to hear from you. Complete our listener survey at fableandfolly.com slash survey. This will help us learn more about you, what you like, what you'd like to hear more of, and how we can maintain an inclusive, safe atmosphere. As a thank you for your participation, we have extras and behind-the-scenes content from your favorite shows. Fans make the network what it is. Thanks for listening, and we can't wait to hear from you. Find our listener survey at fableandfolly.com survey today. Welcome back to Curse, Code, and Crown, a live play Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition podcast featuring a fully original world and campaign. I am the wizard Cronox, observer of time. Curse, Code, and Crown features our regular voiceover artists and improvisers, Laura Hamstra as the Orc Countant Ida and Princess Gwendolyn. Tyler Hewitt as Maka Deathcap, and Ryan LaPlante as Duncan Kindano, alongside our Dungeon Master, the incredible Tom McGee. So get ready for an adventure including thrills, chills, and hope for a brighter tomorrow. It's time for Curse Code and Crown! You find yourselves at the Exile's Moon. You've been greeted by the mysterious proprietor uh, who has just opened her arms wide and welcomed you. Now, Hadrian immediately steps forward uh, as uh, she says this and says, We are grateful for your guidance here, but I must ask, did you say your home or you are home? Uh, to which she grins and says, You are home. I know we all come from different places, but when you are here, you are home. Truly, oh, is that Hadrian. not the desire of all exiles? It says, hmm. That's a good clarification. Thank you. I was somewhat <laughs> concerned. Um, and she kind of nods and uh, looks at the rest of you. Do any of you want to jump in before she continues? Duncan's just watching this out. He feels calm and comfortable and hopeful, which for him is concerning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> Funny enough, Maka is in the same kind of headspace. Because, you know, there's a pretty serious global crisis going on. And in a crisis, the people that are living lavishly and comfortably are either too far removed from it to be helpful, or they're a part of the problem and are benefiting from the crisis. <laughs> so Maka 
feeling very comfortable like that. I think that sensation still takes hold. And I think he kind of clings to it for a bit, but then realizes like, this is wrong. Like Mm. we are on a tight timeline and a lot needs to be done. Why is everyone feasting? Like yeah, I don't no think Duncan gets that far because I don't think Duncan's that smart or emotionally present. I think Duncan's just like, this is nice. Nothing should really be this nice, but this <laughs> is nice. Hmm. <laughs> That's all he's got. Uh, Gwendolyn's kind of like, she's kind of looking around. She's kind of, it's, it's really interesting that like the lady only like greeted like the three people who had the dreams by name and didn't know the rest of us seemingly by name. So that's interesting. You know, why weren't we specifically welcome to? Um, does does and, Gwendolyn say that aloud? She is no, prone to those kind of questions. No, she does. <laughs> she doesn't say that out loud. She's, she's, she's learning a little bit. Um, sometimes it's better to stay silent. That is one thing she's learned. Um, but Ida just straight up says, what is this place? Was this an illusion or are we on another plane of existence? I would like some explanation, please. This I am quite confused. How do we get back? Uh, what is the purpose of this? Uh, the woman's smile grows wider still, um, almost to points. Like her, it, it's it's a, one of those smiles that's just, uh, this is a, a shitty poll, but um, uh, Dr. Phlox in uh, Enterprise, where his smile is just a yes. little too wide. Um, because they had the CG budget to do exactly that much and no more. Um, mm-hmm. and then they just stopped doing it. Um, but um, yeah, her smile gets a bit wider, um, showing again just like tons of teeth, uh, all all coming to points. And um, she just says, Strictly speaking, the answer to your question is yes. This is both the forest you were in and parts of it, at least. And she kind of gestures back towards the tree, says, uh, are indeed kept safe in a small pocket between things uh, is how it is best described. But if you do desire to leave, you certainly may. No one is forced to stay here. It is merely a place where those who've been exiled from their homes may find solace, share their ideas and their experiences, and find some sense of community for at least one night of the year. But if you do wish to exit, you may. Um, and she gestures behind you to where, sure enough, there's a tree with an ancient carved uh, image of a forest. So the same style as the tree, um, but instead it's just a number of, of trees, almost the way you'd see in like a, like a, on a skiing trail or like on a, okay. on a, a trail, just like classic, I have drawn trees badly with a knife uh, <laughs> kind of situation. Um, and she says the, uh, the illusionary bubble merely exists to keep outsiders away from such an event for truly the exiled have so few things to call their own that this we try to keep simply for them and for you if you yourselves are exiled though i did not beckon to you personally i don't believe indeed why were we not beckoned to are you exiles in a sense ah well, the inner sense is is often what uh, is the problem, um, and she so, kind of tilts her tilts her head almost a little too far on a ninety degree. Like it's not it's not quite a forty five. It just kind of keeps going a little bit, um, and all the her hair kind of falls across her face. At no angle can you see her eyes, uh, which is uh, somewhat 
uh, unsettling, only in that, you know, we all, all like eyes. But um, she pronounces your name, Ita, perfectly. Uh, I won't, because I'm not her. Um, and she says, if I'm not very much mistaken, I believe you understand that the nuances of such things can complicate otherwise rather simple requests, as you do not consider yourself an exile of your homeland, but perhaps one just searching or determining your place. I would not find you when I sent out my call. These, however, are very clearly exiles. I forgive me if I have erred in my calculations, but I suspect you live somewhat outside of my normal model. Indeed, I, I can appreciate the nuance. Thank you mm. for that explanation. Um, so, may I, why only one night? What is, what is the purpose? I, um, I, I mean, you say, you say comfort, but I, I am curious the benefit to you. Um, she nods and says, uh, yes, um, come with me and I will explain all as I walk you through the market. Time is short as it is but one night, uh, but certainly I will answer what questions of yours I can. Uh, I'm known as the caretaker, Mags Sindala, and you are welcome here. This gathering, this sanctuary, I have built over a span of many, many years. You see, it can be rather dangerous to be a full exile from one's homeland. These things, Ita, you must understand, uh, often feel like remainders, pieces of an equation that don't necessarily entirely fit. And so many places here in this world find these exiled people to be somewhat left over, unfinished business, something that doesn't quite fit with the way they view themselves. You, for instance, if I'm not mistaken, are an orc accountant of the Empire of Numbers. We have several here who do not quite fit in that mold, do not think quite as ordered or logically as you do, and thus were of very little use to the Empire and often found themselves on the outskirts, abandoned, forgotten, and frankly unwanted. If we were to gather like this permanently, would we not be a threat to that way of life? Would we not present an all-too-tempting target to some of the more militant parts of the world? The Apex Institute, for example, would look quite negatively upon such things. And thus, we view tonight under the exile's moon, which he gestures upward to the moon, um, a chance to gather, to share knowledge, to share gifts and boons, and to, for a moment at least, have home before we disappear to whatever corner of the world we all find most comfortable. I myself am an exile and thus understand this all too well. So one night is safe within the bubble, within the visions, within the changing location. No two exile moons are ever held in the same place. More than one would risk unwanted attention and perhaps the wrath of those who do not see the benefit of people who don't quite belong. I accept your explanation. So as the caretaker begins to... Um, sort of guide you through uh, the Exile's Moon. Um, 
Gwendolyn, you're struck by just how many different types of people there are here. This is a true cross-section of Gren in a way that you've never experienced. And you are immediately struck uh, by the variety of people here, as well as the chance, based on uh, Meg's uh, description of the place, to actually get to talk to some particularly, particularly disenfranchised people. Like, it occurs to you that... Uh, Doc Malvern likely could have come to this event. You're not sure if he did, but this would definitely seem right. to be, in terms of how he was describing his own experience, um, a, a solid place for that. Duncan, similarly for you, um, weirdly, uh, the feeling of being at home is is now shifting a bit um, because this feels like the docks. But this feels like that bar that we met you in way back in episode one, um, in that uh, it's relatively unregulated you can see um there's all manner of people here and honestly it has very much a, a like a carnival uh vibe where there's just like a lot of um action and uh, excitement and movement some of it chaotic some of it's destructive but um also very joyful and it just really does feel like weirdly like your old patrol routes, um, which is somewhat of a comfort because that you can fucking understand. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Maka, for you, I don't think this feels any better or worse than a fully populated space would be. You have your usual aversion to this amount of people in one spot. Yeah. Um, but you are relieved that there's no like hardcore lack of you know the 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 cluster is not absent from this space it doesn't mm -hmm. exist in some hellish temporal nightmare zone like pocket dimension or something pretty much everywhere else you go um the tree itself gives off absolutely nothing and uh from from kind of feeling everything around you even with the root folk knowledge this thing does if, if anything feels extra dimensional it's the tree and likely to some extent the caretaker but everything else feels very much like kind of what it is. There is um, an ever-present aura of magic. Um, you can tell the bubble that popped to allow you in is kind of back in place. Uh, it seems um, kind of like an advanced illusion. Like it's uh, it's more than just like if you walked up to it and you didn't press the icon, you wouldn't get through it. You would likely okay. probably not bounce off it, but in all like i mean i can just tell you this because you're not outside the bubble um you would just be you'd find yourself turned around in the woods so mm. it would just kind of gently guide you away from where you were trying to go in a way right. that wouldn't feel evil um but would prevent you from from stumbling into it it basically blair witch you away from wherever you wanted to go um so you okay. just find yourself wandering through the woods endlessly until you left the woods you just wouldn't yeah, find yourself in like the if of the you market. were a muggle coming up on the Quidditch World Cup, you'd be like, "Oh, I have an appointment," and run away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, fuck, I want to go to the Quidditch World Cup. That'd be so fun. But uh, that's actually Laura. That's a great parallel for this because <laughs> it's that level. Like Harry Potter's always had a weird undercurrent of violence in its like fun events. Yeah. That undercurrent is here too. It does feel like an Olympic event or like uh, a, a Euro or World Cup event where there are definitely hooligans in this crowd. And you can tell there are people who've come here to get fucked up and wreck some shit. Mm. But since the general tone and the general kind of mob mentality is positive, those things kind of seem to happen in their own little pockets where similar to people getting in a fight in a crowded pub, everyone just kind of backs away, lets them do whatever they're doing, 
and then crowds back in. There's no like collateral happening. It's very much, you know, the people in the mosh pit who want to fight are fighting the mosh pit. Everyone else is just having a good time in the mosh pit. Okay. Um, but yes, a, a very like Quidditch-esque, like occasionally a tent will get knocked over by something crazy and everyone just kind of laughs and, and resets it. But definitely there is that undercurrent of violence, which again, I think Duncan is, is reacting to and monitoring. Uh, you can see Hadrian feel, looks wildly uncomfortable in this space. Like this is a guy who likes rules and order. So this is all he can see are the amount of like dangerous angles. So unlike Duncan, who's like, oh yeah, but I know how to handle those. He's just like, what? Uh, yeah, Hadrian's the man who believes if he storms a castle, the populace will rise up with him. And Duncan's the guy who knows what it's like to get shanked in an alley. You know, it's like, just a difference. Hadrian's basically looking for a cop to report some stuff to. Like he's clearly like looking around for like a police booth to be like, hey, <laughs> what's going on over there? Looking to get out of the ads and back to the story? Fable and Folly Plus is a new way to support the creators you love. The podcast you're listening to right now and more than 60 others can be heard ad-free for as little as $4 a month by visiting fableandfolly.com slash plus. And now you'll start to see Fable and Folly Network shows are offering bonus content to all existing and new supporters. Find exclusive new episodes from shows like Civilized and Realms of Peril and Glory. Fable and Folly Plus. Sign up today at fableandfolly.com slash plus. Jasmine is in fucking heaven. She is super, super happy. Um, and again, if your job is to work on a thing you don't understand and possibly have to parachute off your home as it crashes to earth, uh, you know, wacky, death-defying fun is kind of her jam. Um, and uh, you can see she's very amused. Um, Nibs is actually uh, fairly, uh, he he seems intrigued, but is, is cautious uh, in a way, I think, Duncan, that kind of tracks with, Again, what you've seen of him in that he also doesn't seem to trust a good thing like this. Like, it's exciting. But, um, and uh, Norman hates this. He hates this many people. <laughs> he hates that it's dirty. Um, and uh, you can hear him kind of muttering about the unsanitary nature of preparing street food as you walk by, like, several stalls that are cooking over massive iron walks. Uh, with like a, a flame under them and just like clearly like cooking mass batches of, of food to hand out in small um, sort of uh, leaf cups to people. And he's just like, he's that guy who's just like walking by a food truck being like, how could it possibly? Or it's like walking through a market being like, Ugh, kebabs. Ugh. Uh, which is why he doesn't get to have any good food. Idiot. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's kind of the, 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 the way things are looking. Um, Mags is leading you through the crowd um, towards uh, the the tree. Is there anything any of you want to do? Duncan would be keeping a very sharp eye out for two things. A, he'd be watching Nibs because he cares about Nibs. The squire is clearly not used to this environment, and he's the guy who will get like dragged into a gambling den by accident. Uh, and B, the tournament of champions or the Order of Champions, this feels 110% like a place where he would accidentally stumble upon someone who might shoot or stab him. So he is ultra vigilant for that symbol or any sign that there's somebody here who's playing the game. Cool. Um, I'm going to save you from passive perception on this because this feels like active perception. Uh, so can you roll me a perception check, please? Yes, I can. And I'll give you advantage because I feel like this kind of environment is one you're actually very good at 
at tracking. You'd think. Uh, that's a 10. Uh, you do have a point of inspiration. Yeah, I'm going to burn that shit. Uh, there we go. That's a dirty 20. That's much better. Dirty 20. All right. Well done. Um, so you're keeping an eye out. Um, you don't see the symbol anywhere, so that's nice. Um, but uh, as you're, you're making your way through the crowd, um, your eyes alight on um, uh, like an old elf, um, which is strange to see here because previously the only elves you've encountered uh, were the uh, Covenant of Crecate and had all kind of gone down a different path. So seeing just like a, a, a non-familiar um, elf is, is strange to you. Um, and uh, he seems to be um, uh, carving um, mandolins. So he's like working on stringing um, a mandolin. You can tell he's got like a little shop there. There's a couple of people waiting um, and there's a, a bunch of kind of beautifully created instruments just kind of uh, clattering behind him in the wind um, around his, his little shop. Um, and you don't think too much of him uh, when you see him because he is a man who is like doing a job and not really paying attention. But um, it's one of those people where like your eyes keep catching him and the second time your eyes meet and when you you dart your eyes back to him your eyes meet again and when it happens one more time you start to get the sense of like oh um it's like a meet cute but deadly um so yes you are you are fairly confident uh that whether it's the order of champions or something else that this guy is problem he is a problem um but at the same time he is uh an old man making loots. So, you know, he's, he's not like the mirror vampire, uh, at least. Fair enough. He, he clocked me as well? Yes. It was kind of the, the kind of thing where, like, the first time you looked at him, you just kind of caught him out of the corner of your eye, and you saw the, the booth. You didn't think of yeah. it. You continued okay. to scan. But the second time you looked over, he was looking at you. The third time you looked over, he's looking. The fourth time you looked over, he was looking at you. And you get the sense that as you look away, he does too. But um, you're both doing that same game of, like, well, Duncan knows where he's going, and he's going to bring Maka with him uh, after they go see this stupid tree. Sure. Maka, is there anything the you'd be doing? Stupid tree. Maka's excited to see the stupid tree, so he takes <laughs> exception to that comment, first of all. He didn't um, hear it. It's just in no, Duncan's head. Well, uh, yeah, well, I also, yeah, I'm not talking like Maka. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, this is a uh, yeah, casual just, Friday Maka. Something comes over Maka in this strange place, and he says, uh, excuse me, I heard that in your mind's uh, eye. <laughs> And I take exception to that, mister. Um, I think, uh, yeah, he, like, looking forward to getting to this tree, but also I think just looking around for what these other exiles are up to. You know what I mean? Like, if everyone's just here socializing and partying, what a goddamn useless waste of time, in Maka's opinion. Um, (laughs) So he, he wants to get an idea of how comfortable is everyone here? Do you know what I mean? Like, we just want, we, a bubble burst and we completely translocated to another place and had to be introduced and have an explanation provided to us. Are there people here that appear to be uncomfortable with the current state of affairs? Yeah. Can you roll me an insight? <clears throat> 13 and insight is not a lot. Oh, no, it is. A uh, total of 18. Yeah. Um, you definitely see people who look lost. Okay. Um, and people who look like tourists, uh, who just stepped off a bus in New York and are like, holy shit, New York, what? 
Um, you also see some people who are um, who look disappointed. Like not everyone here is having a, a blast. Okay. Um, there's some people who, uh, you know, Maka wouldn't clock this because I don't think he understands um, facial expression and anatomy and other uh, creatures necessarily. But like there are a bunch of people who are having a similar like, what the fuck is this reaction? Um, and uh, as you look around um, in terms of like, are people just like partying and having fun? There are elements of that, um, but you also see trade. Um, you see people um, uh, comparing, um, you know, uh, farming equipment. Uh, you see seeds being passed back and forth. Um, you see uh, someone like mending someone else's outfit. The sense you're getting is that this is a celebratory event, but uh, it's actually closer to like a farmer's market. Okay. Um, but if it was a farmer's market where all the farmers came to trade with each other. I think so it takes a little bit of the edge out of Maka's mm -hmm. initial feeling about this place. Yeah. Like there's definitely, there are like, you can, uh, you can see um, like someone juggling in the distance, like on yeah, a, on a like, unicycle. You fucking clown. Um, yeah. But at the same time, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, if you observe them long enough, you notice that after they hop down, they're also like helping people learn how to do it. Like it, it does seem like there's a genuine exchange of ideas happening in addition to okay. um, the kind of rebels. So um, there's still a lot of frivolity from Maka's taste here, but I think definitely, okay. yeah, there's, I think particularly seeing the passing of seeds, that's what I would say probably where you suddenly go, oh, okay, the, I, I understand there is an element of value to this, even if the yeah. the majority of it is, uh, is shady. Um, and yeah, you also see some people who are frustrated, some people who look bored. Um, and uh, every so often you see someone leave. They just walk out the the bubble. And as soon as they hit the bubble, like as soon as they, you can see that the, these tree icons have been etched kind of around. You do watch someone walk into it and just kind of turn around and start walking back into the market, look confused and turn around, and realize they have to push the button, push the button and leave. Um, but uh, yeah, it's not to everyone's taste. Um, Though there are some people who look very comfortable. So there's definitely some newbies, but there's definitely some like old vets who usually the people who have tents uh, set up and like marketplace mm. stalls set up who like the old man that um, uh, Duncan is making eyes with um, who seem much more comfortable here. Okay. Uh, Gwendolyn, is there anything you would want to do on the way to the tree? Um, I, I think Gwendolyn's just kind of like keeping an eye out for like, I think she's just generally taking it all in and just keeping an eye out for what kind of folks are around who she wants to like chat with. This sure. is a learning opportunity for her. So, okay. Gotcha. She'll take advantage if she can. Uh, can you roll perception or investigation, please? Yeah. Um, You know, it's probably investigation because she's probably looking. She's looking all around. She's looking for anything, anything. What well, doesn't matter? It's a ten. Cool. Um, so, Gwendolyn, you're keeping your, your proverbial eyes open, um, but mm. you're also having a hard time. Uh, there's there's so much sensory overload here while also trying to listen to mags while also going trying yeah. to observe the etiquette that um, you get the sense that once you're done observing etiquette, you have a better chance to investigate. But right now you don't get much at a glance. Uh, it's That's just kind fair. of those things where you're like, Oh, cool. 
you know, it's like me walking. If you've ever been to like Comic Con or Fan Expo or anything, it's like you walk the, the the floor and there's just like cool nerd shit everywhere, and you're like, oh my god, I know there's stuff here I want. I'm gonna need to be meticulous about this because just yeah. walking through, all I know is that there's cool shit in every direction. And I don't know where to start. Yeah. Um, the answer is Artist Alley. Always start there. Because uh, then you'll know how much money you have left. Um, great. So with that, you you reach uh, the tree. Um, so uh, Mags stops uh, in front of the tree and kind of turns back. Uh, again, the, the cloak, the hair, and the trinkets on the hat all kind of moving in, in unison. Um, and she says, uh, I ask only one thing of those who come to the exile's moon and that is that you add something of of yourself of your your culture of of who you are and what you believe to the tree it stands as a beacon to all of those who have lost the place they call home to know that somewhere at least people from all corners of the world have found solace with each other it also stands as a beautiful testament to all who have passed through here so if you would all like to stay, I ask that you add something that you feel represents you, where you come from, or what you believe in, to the tree, that all who behold it may, may learn of you. Duncan will draw forth the breathing barrel of Bertha, something that has saved his life, something that is improvised, something that has been made into what it is to serve a purpose it may not have been born for, but now has found. Uh, and he will place that <laughs> in the tree. Great. Hmm. Duncan also, quite consciously, did not place anything with the Dawnbreaker symbol because he's still not 100% sure of this and does not want to do like a corporate endorsement. Right. You got Ooh, anything for hard. Gwen and Ida, Laura? Gwendolyn has so little <laughs> on her. Um. Uh, what is the what is the material that Gwendolyn's armor is made out of, Tom? Emulium. Emulium. But what does it look like metal-wise? It's gold, it's like coppery, right? right? Um, it, 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 it honestly Half looks, yeah, it kind of looks like, uh, I mean, the, the suit that because of like the, the wear and tear it's had on it, it kind of just looks like a shitty suit of armor. <laughs> so like that kind of like classic steel, um, yes, when it was new, very much like a, 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 uh, sort of coppery gold. But I mean, honestly, by the time the, the, the giant dwarf, uh, that was wearing it died, it was like threadbare, heavily worn armor. Um, and part of the reason that uh, Amala kind of became such a symbol was she was just a woman wearing like hand-me-down gear. <laughs> like there's nothing magical or mm -hmm. important about it. Um, Duncan would offer to Gwendolyn if she wanted it. He has a purse with 10 gold pieces in it, which would undoubtedly be A from Orville and B would be kind of beat up. Uh, once shining gold, now dirty, beat up, much like the armor. If you wanted to leave a symbol of Orvel and your own kind of appearance slash armor type, you could leave the purse. Ooh. You'd actually just hang one one gold piece if you want. Like that's that's she's not asking for like financial value. It's just, you know. I don't know what gold's worth. So yeah, you could do a gold piece. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. All right, so Duncan had toss her a coin and put the other nine back in case they need him. Sure. Um cool. And um 
I think Ida will affix her bottle of ink mm. onto yep. it. Um, Marka, do you need a couple couple minutes to, to sort this out? Marka's going to cast Speak with Plants. He wants to chat with this tree. <laughs> He, uh, he places a hand upon the bark and, and the spell goes. Um, and he'll just start by saying, uh, uh, Hello, my name is Marker Deathcap, Heart of Jassy. How do you fare this evening, great tree? You know, so few people ask me that as caretaker, Maka, and it is very nice to have someone ask directly, but I am doing very well. The Exile's Moon is truly the great work of my life, as is this tree. Uh, I believe if you were asking to speak to its essence, you will find that it died long, long ago. But I have managed to capture the essence of, of, of it. I slept beneath this tree for many, many years. It is the closest thing I have to home, and thus it is the trinket that I leave. Rest assured, I watched it grow from little more than a sapling into what you see before you, provided shelter and nourishment for all those around it. And though I cannot say what its feelings were about death, I know that it lived an excellent life. This is but an aspect of it now. I'm afraid you will find that the full body of it, as it lived in the world before me, has returned into the earth as things should. Mm. Yes. Then, as a sign of respect, I think I know just what to add to this tree. Thank you again for asking how it and I were doing, Marka. It is very much appreciated. I shall leave you to your offering. Marka and then the tree nods. goes silent. Okay. Uh, he nods uh, and he kind of uh, plucks a, a mushroom off of his mm. off of his shoulder and just kind of gently places it on one of the like large roots at the base of the tree. Um, uh, and and kind of just magically kind of tries to tend to it there for it to kind of take hold uh, the way uh, hmm. fungi and mushrooms do with with big dead trees. Um, and he'll he'll place that there. Cool. It looks a little bit like it's trying to grow on glass in that it kind of spreads out a little bit, but not as naturally as you'd expect. Um, it kind of holds there for a moment, uh, and you see Mags kind of nod at you um, with like a small smile, um, and then uh, it it merges into the tree as you would expect a, a fungi would. Um, so uh, Jasmine steps forward, and um, she kind of like looks at all of you awkwardly because again she's she's fully on side, but also uh, she's a relatively private person. Um, but uh, after kind of a moment of realizing she's witnessed all of you do your things, and it would be kind of rude if, if she didn't uh, reciprocate, she um, 
looks down at her pipe and with like a true air of longing um sort of ties a, a quick noose around it um and slings it up uh and then uh she takes a couple steps away looks at all of you and says um uh it, it was my dad's um and then she uh takes out some rolling paper and immediately starts to roll a cigarette she's definitely not quitting the habit uh she's just given up um an item um nib steps forward and um he uh kind of looks to all of you and then he um he actually produces the uh the axe that his um mentor had given him um and uh he just kind of says uh This is, is uh, the weapon of, uh, of a hero. Uh, it's a fine weapon, but it's not my weapon. And I don't think I'd be very good with it. I think I need to figure out what, what mine is and learn from this one. And he kind of holds the ax and he says, but figure out what, what best fits my hands um, and the teachings that the person who wielded this put in them. Um, so he kind of uh, doesn't really know how to like like he 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 considers like thwacking it into the side that's clearly not the right decision um and then eventually just kind of shrugs and like hands it to mags um and it disappears beneath her cloak for a moment and you see some rustling um and when it comes out uh there's a sort of a, almost a cradle um built around it uh of rope um and she passes it back to nibs who hangs it um and then uh hadrian steps forward and um he looks at the coin um gwendolyn that you hung sort of turning slowly and um he shoots just kind of like a a, a sly glance over his shoulder at you uh, with a with a small smile um an approving smile um and a bit of a, almost like like he's he's impressed this is a he, he clearly respects this gesture um and then he um he turns to you, Ito, and he says, um, my apologies, Ito. Could I borrow some of the ink that you used? Um, it is, it is part of the tree. It is no longer mine. So. And he kind of looks to Mags and she, she nods. Um, and, uh, he takes off one of his coppers and, uh, kind of with a nod to you, Duncan, he soaks, soaks it with the ink. So that it's less uh the iconography is is blurred um and then he takes a step back and kind of with, with a remarkable show of athletic prowess he tosses it like a football as hard and as far as he can up into the the heights of the tree uh duncan you can tell that he's giving up something that means a lot to him but is similarly worried about what leaving a dawnbreaker logo kicking around would be like um so he kind of hurls it up into the high branches um and uh just kind of like you know, checks his wrist. Like it's been a long time since he hasn't worn these. Um, but uh, he looks to you, Duncan, and says, uh, "I think this is more appropriate for what we discussed, don't you?" Yes, I do not disagree. You're a grand man, Hadrian. As are you, Duncan Kindano. I'm glad that our new dawnbreakers have both an Elos and a Dano. We'll see about finding the rest as we go. And he kind of like nods to Nibs and says, perhaps a Kev or Shev. Who knows? We'll see how he does with the shield. 
Um, and then uh, who should step forward? But our cranky underbutler. So all eyes fall to him uh, because if there's someone who's going to fuck this up, <laughs> it's going to be him. Um, so he uh, he kind of looks to all of you, um, and uh, he is clearly not as taken with this whole uh, thing as uh, as anyone else. Um, and you can tell, like he's just on the edge of of somehow ruining this for everyone. Does anyone want to try and intercede and help sway him uh, towards making this gesture? Keeping in mind that it's not like he's going to ruin it for all of you. This is literally if you're like, this is a good thing and you should do this. I want to help help you to do this. Not like a, if he doesn't do this, you know, Mags is going to boot you all out of town. Yeah, no, I don't think Maka cares enough to want to help him. Duncan don't have to. This is not a... Duncan would speak from where he stands and just say, with great power and great kindness, friend Nerman, there is not a lack of strength. Make a wise choice. Uh, and just lean on a subtle but very polite intimidation on Meg's behalf, which is like, we don't know who this lady is. Don't fuck with this lady. Cool. All right. So you want to roll intimidation then, sir? Yeah. That is a 24. He, um... He kind of glares at you, not thinking you're talking about him. And then he follows your eyes to Mags, um, who, whether intentionally or not, just kind of slumps her shoulders enough to let the cloak fall in such a way that it's very clear there's more under the cloak than meets the eye. Um, and his kind of lips grow, like he, he pouts um, in the way only, like a subtle pout, but a pout nonetheless. And then he reaches into the pocket of his vest, um, and uh, he pulls out uh, a ring of keys and he starts trying to take one key off and it's clearly like these are not, it's an iron key, like key link. So he pulls and he pulls and he pulls and then finally looking at everyone getting slightly impatient he sighs and unclasps the chain and he says um, the keys to the palace and he hangs them And then, like, kind of seeing, I think, Gwendolyn's armor creak back in surprise, he says, Yeah. The parts of it I was allowed into. Oh, all right. All right. Uh, if he could roll his eyes further back into his head, he would. But he did nevertheless complete the gesture. Um, and then Duncan's uh, impressed. I'll say that. Duncan straight up didn't think he was capable of it. He thinks differently of Nerman after this experience than he did before. Cool. Yeah, you can also tell that, like, even though he's being like a dick about it, it clearly meant something. Uh, and giving up something like that clearly meant something to him. Um, and then uh, Fallow Ted steps forward and says, "Hey, hi. Um, I'm not uh, exactly an exile. I kind of left of my own free will, and uh, my home is the road, and I kind of like it that way. But this seems like a, a kind of a neat tradition. So uh, can can I can I hang something? Um, and uh, Meg's uh, turns and like kind of like puts like 
And again, her hands are like a little too large uh, when when you actually like look at them in comparison to people. So she puts a, a hand on uh, his shoulder and says, I appreciate that you respect our, our rituals here. I'm afraid you are no exile and thus your offering is not welcome at this time. But thank you for asking. And please, as someone who has helped exiles, you are welcome here as a guest. But know that you are simply that, a guest. And uh, he kind of nods and says, yeah, all right. Guest. Um, and with that, uh, the caretaker turns to the rest of you and says, um, you are now all truly welcome here under the exile's moon. You will find people of all sorts here willing to share and partake of, of knowledge, experience, and goods. I simply ask that you respect that everyone here has faced hardships. How you treat them is up to you. But please do keep that in mind. It is a hard road we exiles walk, and that is always worth respecting. Uh, and with that, um, she kind of opens her arms, um, smiles at you, and uh, even though you don't all blink in unison, um, you all do blink at some point, uh, and when you do, she's gone. Um, it doesn't necessarily happen um, at the same time for all of you, but uh, sure enough, uh, within a breath, she's gone. And in the distance, you can see a group wandering in from the edge of the forest, and Mags is there, spreading her arms wide in greeting, welcoming them to the Exile's Moon. This episode of Curse Code and Crown Sound was mixed and edited by Laura Hamstra, and the campaign was created by Tom McGee. Our original theme music was composed by Landon Noblock, and Curse Code and Crown's artwork was created by the brilliant Del Borovic. If you want to follow our players or our DM on Twitter, you can reach out to Laura at ELHamstring, Ryan at the Ryan LeBlanc. Tyler at Tyler underscore Hewitt, Tom McGee at McGeeTD, or you can message our whole company at Dum Dum Dice. So please join us again for more Curse, Code, and Crown! Dum Dums and Dice has to give a special thank you to the supreme beings of our Patreon at this time, the Half-Blind Prophet, Christopher Little, Sue One, George Dolby, Richard Cranium, Sammy Boy, Orion Birchfield, Scott Garland, Benjamin V, Gavin and Abby McDonald, Logan, Fire Unfriendly, Acrix, Grandma Likes D&D, Alan, Austin Nut Powers Fry, Stabby Stranger, Glitch Trick, Roman Brown, Shulzari, Christian Mendez, Spot Allen, Flynn 1138, Alorraine Okapi, and Jill and Noel Laplante. If you want your name to be added to this list, you can join our Patreon too at patreon.com slash dumdumdice. Thanks to them, and a little bit of thanks to you. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.